You are listening to the teaching ministries of Southwest Church, located in the heart of Springboro, Ohio, at 150 Remick Boulevard, beside the Kaufman Family YMCA. Please visit our website at www.southwestchurch.org. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Senior Minister Roger Hendricks. Creative Arts team found uh, our opening video, which I initially loved as I tend to lean more toward uh, baseball's fall classic in the fall as opposed to exploits on the gridiron, uh, especially when your alma mater is zero and two, but we don't want to talk about that. But yet as a former uh, baseball player and coach, the the kids pitching fundamentals on that video bothered me, okay? I mean, uh, whip the glove to the belt, kick the, the heel to the sky, and make sure you follow through ready to field the ball. But uh, that's just me, okay? I think the basics are important. But we're not here to talk about the basics of baseball, football, or soccer, although I am tempted uh, to show the technique of a budding soccer star, also known... <laughs> as my three-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter, who's the only girl on a four-year-old soccer team. Go, Jacqueline. All right. But um, we want to we learn some, some lessons, though, from those that are in sports and things that we can learn from them. In fact, uh, just recently, I went to Houston, uh, went with Nathan Mitchell, our student minister, on a discipleship retreat. It was a great time. But while in Houston, you know, they're crazy about their Astros there, and and uh, it's been a long time since, as a Reds fan, I remember what it's like to win the World Series. So I can't give them a hard time. But, uh, but you know, they were talking while I was there in Houston about Jose Altuve. Some of you know Jose Altuve was the American League uh, um, MVP last year. He's five foot six. How's this guy hit home runs? How's he have the power off his bat that he does? I don't get it. But, you know, they said that while I was there in Houston, I heard that he spends hundreds and hundreds of hours every, every year uh, working on the difference of fundamentals between having the bat here and here, here to here, from follow through from here to here, the difference between a pop-up and a home run. And, you know, if, if those in athletics spend hours and hours focusing on the fundamentals, getting back to the basics so that they can go from good to great. We as a church want to really make sure that we focus on the fundamentals. We really want to do a great job of being people that are serious about following Jesus and influencing others to also be disciples of Jesus. And that's our mission statement, following Jesus and making disciples. And so that means from time to time, we just need to go back and revisit the basics so that we can make sure that we're keeping on track as as we long to. And that's why we emphasize these basics over and over again to our ministry staff, uh, to our small group leaders, to make sure that we are emphasizing the basics. Before I get into the details of that, let's just uh, pause and pray and ask God to help us Help us get back to the basics of what it means to be a Jesus follower. Let's pray together. Dear God, thank you just for lessons we can learn even from the athletic world and and the importance of fundamentals. But Father, for the rest of our time together, I pray that you'll just open our hearts to 
maybe some things in our life that we've let slip, possibly, Father, that we've forgotten, maybe for some never have heard or understood before. And I pray, Father, that you'll really just, through your Spirit, work through this time together as a church. And I pray, Father, that you'll truly help identify an area or areas that that we as individuals and we as a church need to give attention to. And so I just pray that you'll give us receptive hearts now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as, as Andrew shared earlier, throughout this year, we've been focusing uh, in staff meeting on what does it mean to, to get the basics down. In fact, basics is an acronym for some things that we're really wanting to make sure that we emphasize and that we are putting into practice here at Southwest. And so we, we came up with this acronym BASICS, and we got a, 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 a series of photos here to help illustrate what we're talking about. If you think about just going around the wheel here, it starts with bridge the gap and then abide in Jesus, shepherd toward maturity, invite the unconnected, chase the strays, and support new leaders. And we're going to be looking at those over the next uh, four or five weeks. In fact, uh, we want to make sure that we uh, make it clear that we're not necessarily saying these are in the order of significance or the order of importance, because maybe some of you, if you looked at this chart and said, well, where would, where would I start if I wanted to emphasize the most important thing? I, I would say that we would want to start up in the top right corner, which is abide in Jesus. But, you know, to call a, a message series absix just didn't sound very inspiring. So we flipped those. And so we're going to be talking about the basics. And otherwise, I think we're on track there. So, but also by beginning with the B of basics, we're able to review our 2020 vision statement, which is to be a church that's serious about bridging the gap to those without Jesus so that no one has to live without hope. And before we give a clear example from Scripture, what I think is a great story just to give a clear example of what it means to be bridging the gap to others. In fact, we're going to be looking at how Jesus did that in a very, very practical way. Let's first of all back up just a minute and let's, let's review what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? That's a term that if, you, if you've been to Southwest probably more than one or two week, two times, you've probably heard us talk about being a disciple, following Jesus, and you've heard us emphasize that. And maybe for some, you're a little hazy. What does that term disciple mean? I think if we polled or surveyed most people in our culture, they would probably think that word disciple means something like super Christian or Christian leader. I think that's how many would hear that term. But the truth of it is that's not what the word means. And that's not our fundamental aim just to, to, to raise up super Christians, okay? Uh, we want to get back to what does that biblical word disciple mean? If you look at the original language, the very basic word means student or learner. To be a disciple of Jesus means that you are a student of Jesus. You are learning from Jesus how to live life. That's what it means in its most basic definition. 
And in fact, as we look at the Bible uh, for a definition of disciple, we see that this, this Bible word disciple pops up over and over and over again. In fact, Jesus talked a lot about what does it mean to be a disciple of his? What does it mean to be a follower of his? And in a fascinating passage in the in the book of Acts. And by the way, if you're not familiar with the Bible, you might wonder, what's the book of Acts? The book of Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament. And it's a, it's a, it's a fascinating read. It's a description of the first 30-year history of the Christian church. And I love reading the book of Acts because I love getting back to the spirit of what those early Christians were all about. And yet, when we get to Acts 11, which is probably about eight to ten years into Christianity, eight to ten years after Jesus is resurrected, we find in Acts 11 we're introduced to a new term in the Bible that probably is surprising to many of you how few times this term is used. In Acts 11, in this ancient Greek city of Antioch, we read this description. It was in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. You see, up to this point, the followers of Jesus were called disciples. And yet, at this point, a a new name gets associated with followers of Jesus. It's the term Christian. In fact, it was probably a derogatory term at first. Probably, uh, you know, outsiders looked at Jesus' followers and said, you know, who do they think they are? Do they think they're little Christ? You know, and maybe they came up, well, they're Christians. And yet the followers of Jesus said, you know, we kind of like that. We kind of like that term, and so it stuck. But what's surprising to many people is how few times the word Christian is found in the Bible. I've asked you know, hundreds of people, maybe thousands of people through the years, how many times do you think the word Christian is found in the Bible? And people are shocked to discover that the word Christian is only found three times in all the Bible. This is the first one that it's mentioned. It's mentioned one other time in Acts and one time in First Peter. And yet, predominantly throughout the Scriptures, Jesus exclusively described his followers as disciples. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I, I proudly wear the name Christian. I love being called a Christian because that's who I'm associating with. That's who I identify with, Jesus Christ. And yet, my fear is that in 2,000 years of Christianity, that that word Christian has been watered down so much that it doesn't stand for much anymore. And so I think that when you ask people, are you a Christian, I think many people think, well, I'm not a Buddhist, I'm not a Hindu, I'm not a Muslim, I'm not a Jew. Yeah, and I went to Christmas service last year. Yeah, I'm a Christian. And I think that that's all the further that many people go in their understanding or thought process of what it means to be a Christian. So what we're hoping to do here at Southwest is we want to restore what is the biblical description of those who seriously are following Jesus? And what does it truly mean to be a Christian? What does it truly mean to be a disciple of his? And so sometimes just by using that word disciple as opposed to Christian, it gets our attention and helps us realize that we need to look at how the Bible defines that term and even how the Bible defines the term Christian. So now some of you are saying, well, what does it mean to be a disciple? Well, we've, we've found that 
it's good to just go back to the beginning. So let's go back to that initial invitation that Jesus gave to those first few guys that started following him that became his disciples. What does it mean to be a disciple? It's found in Matthew 4, 19. And I liked how the New Revised Standard Version reads here when it says, follow me and I will make you fish for people. If you break down this invitation, we see the definition of what it means to be a disciple. First, there's the follow me piece, which is the head, okay? It's the, it's the head saying, you know, our mind saying, yes, I identify with Jesus. I want to follow him. I want to learn from him. I want to live my life the way he taught. That's the head decision. And then Jesus says, I will make you. There's an invitation for us to, to follow Jesus and allow him to change us, to remake us in his image, to become that new person in Christ. And that's the heart. That's the heart where someone says, listen, I want to be changed by Jesus. I heard someone say one time that, that what's going to keep many people out of heaven is about one foot. You might think, one foot. It's the distance from the head to the heart the distance from saying, yeah, I know what Jesus said, and yeah, now I, I really want to be changed by what he said. And then, not just the head, the heart, but also the hands, where we say, we answer the call to fish for people. So here at Southwest, we want to be head, heart, hands, followers of Jesus. We want to be all in. We want to be serious about what it means to be putting into practice the teachings of Jesus. Now, what I've recently discovered in my reading of the Bible and, and reading the Bible and, and leading others through Bible readings and Bible uh, in small groups is that really it's, it's pretty powerful. Any passage in Scripture, you can get to this head, heart, hands focus by asking three questions. There are three simple questions. When you read a passage, ask, what do I learn from this? So the head part is, what do I learn about Jesus? What do I learn about what it means to be a follower of his? What do I learn? Maybe what questions do I have of this text? That's the what. When you talk about the heart, it's asking, well, why is that important to my daily life? Why should that make a difference to me? And then the, the fish for people, the hands-on question is, how's that going to make a difference this week? Well, today we want to try to just follow that what, why, how series of thinking as we examine what I think is a classic example of Jesus bridging the gap to others. It's in your Bible in Luke chapter 19, or you can pull out your Bible app, or you can pull out the message insert and read along. And I love this story, and we're going to try to tear it apart today and see what, what we can learn, why it's important to us, and how we can put it into practice. So in Luke 19, it reads this way. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus, he was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He, he tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. 
Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Well, let's ask our what, why, and how questions. What do we learn about? Let's start with what do we learn about Zacchaeus? We learn that Zacchaeus is a tax collector in Jericho. Not simply a tax collector, but a chief tax collector. We've shared before on uh, messages that the tax collectors in Jesus' day were not viewed in a positive light. Now, now some of you might have issues with the IRS or the local tax department, but in Jesus' day, people had real problems with the tax collectors. They were not just feared slightly, they were despised. Why? Because the tax collectors were uh, the Jewish people who had sold out to the Romans who were occupying Palestine at the time. And they really were working for the Romans to collect taxes from their fellow Jews. The Romans were clever because they thought, you know, if we get Jews to collect taxes from other Jews, then, then uh, we'll make sure the job gets done. And, and the Jews who were willing to be tax collectors, they would oftentimes not only collect taxes but they would line their own pockets with some extra money as they would overcharge taxes. The Romans didn't care because they just wanted to get their share. So you see, Jewish people who weren't tax collectors despised those who were because not only were they turncoats, but they were thieves. Now, Zacchaeus lived in Jericho. Jericho was east of Jerusalem. He was on a trade route from the eastern nations coming into Israel. And so it was a great location to be a tax collector. And so he was not just any tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. And the scripture says that he was a wealthy chief tax collector, which means that Zacchaeus although rich, didn't have very many friends. And I think we'll see that he was starving for meaningful relationships. It was in this context that we learned that Jesus travels through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. I believe from reading the Gospels that this was his last trip through Jericho. We're also told that Zacchaeus was what kind of man? He was a short man. Now, those of you who grew up in church might know that he was a wee little man. Okay, from some of you who maybe heard that song. Now, we see that Zacchaeus was resourceful. And so he climbs a sycamore fig tree so that he can see Jesus. Now, I'm not sure how your mind works, but when I read these Bible stories, I have a vivid imagination. And so I try to imagine myself in the story. And because I've always wanted to be taller, 
I can kind of identify with Zacchaeus. I was that short kid in school that wanted to grow so badly so I could get my, uh, you know, college basketball career on track. Well, I never got on track. And even though I used to hang from the clothesline pole trying to grow, all it gave me was a sore shoulder. Okay, so, uh, but, but I long to be taller so I can relate to the little guys. But also, not only do I put myself in the story, I try to imagine if this was put to video, who would be cast as Zacchaeus? Who do you think of? I think, does somebody say, Danny DeVito? That's who I think of. (laughs) Now, for those of you who are younger and you're like, who's Danny DeVito? Um, For those of you who like, you know, uh, reality TV, I think of JC on Big Brother, okay? Now, some of you might be offended I give a Big Brother. Don't judge me. Uh, but that's a guilty pleasure of my wife and I, okay? But so, so J.C. Or, or Danny DeVito, if you can picture him, climbing a tree to see Jesus. Now, what do we learn about Jesus? He did the unlikely thing. In fact, I love that about Jesus. It seemed like Jesus was so unpredictable, and he liked doing the unlikely thing to, to, to get people's attention, to grab their hearts. And so he is going through Jericho. He looks up and he says, Zacchaeus. He calls him out in front of, and I don't know what you picture, but I picture a throng of people following Jesus, the streets being lined. That's why Zacchaeus had to climb a tree. He couldn't see him. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus. Now, I, again, wonder, what did the crowd think? How did the crowd think he was going to finish that sentence? I imagine some of them thought he was going to say, Zacchaeus, you scoundrel, you've cheated a lot of people in this crowd. Zacchaeus, how dare you show your face in this crowd? But instead, Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I want to go home with you. And I want to spend the afternoon with you. You see, Jesus did the unthinkable. He built a bridge to somebody that was an outcast. He built a bridge to somebody that was despised. The the passage says that, that, that the people grumbled. They were displeased. Some passages say they murmured. They verbally gasped. I think there were gasps in the crowd. Oh, he wants to spend time with Zacchaeus? Now, again, I asked myself as I read this text this past week, who would Jesus stop for in 21st century American culture that would shock us? Who would Jesus say, I want to spend the afternoon with them? And so my mind started wandering, and I thought, who would, who would be the person that would cause us to gasp? Here's a couple of people I thought of. What if Jesus said, Colin Kaepernick, I want to spend the afternoon with you? What if Jesus said to the controversial radio host, Alex Jones, I want to spend the afternoon with you? See, I want to be an equal opportunity offender. But seriously, what if Jesus wanted to spend time not with someone like us, but someone maybe that we 
didn't agree with, didn't like, or maybe even despised. Why would we struggle? Why would we struggle with Jesus building a bridge to get to know them, to get to know their story, to develop a friendship with them? You see, Jesus took risks in building bridges with someone that was quite different than he was. He took the risk to build a bridge with someone who would even be controversial for him to associate with. You know, I think one of the reasons why Zacchaeus was willing to climb the tree and maybe even make a fool of himself, he knew the people didn't like him. Jesus was willing to take positions and take stands and reach out to people and befriend people that would cause others to, to pull back. That's the head. Now, let's, let's look at our second question. Not just the facts, the knowledge, but why should this story make a difference in our life? Well, first of all, there's not a person in your life in the past, the present, or the future that Jesus wouldn't be willing to build a bridge to close the gap between himself and that person. You might ask, well, how do you know this? Well, I know this because Jesus has already gone to great lengths to bridge the gap with every person on this planet. He left heaven to come to earth. That's a pretty big bridge. He was willing to die on the cross for every person in this room and every person that, that the people in this room know. Even the people that we don't like, Jesus died for them. That tells me Jesus is willing to build the bridge to anyone. Now, if Jesus is willing to do that, and if we call ourselves his followers, then shouldn't we be willing to build bridges with others? That's why this story, I think, is important for us. Secondly, we can learn a great deal from Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is an example of someone who went to great lengths to see, to seek more information, and to learn from Jesus. He didn't make excuses. I mean, he could have said, I'm too short to see, but he took the investment of time and energy, even the risk of being ridiculed, to do that which was not dignified so that he could see Jesus. You know, when I first started attending a Bible study in college, when I first started thinking about seeking a relationship with Jesus, I was interested. I was drawn in because I knew there was stuff missing in my heart and life. But I also was very conscious of what others thought about me. And so I, I have vivid memories of walking through a, a dorm hallway to a Bible study I'd been invited to. But back in those days, we didn't have phones with Bible apps. You know, that would have been great because I could have just stuck it in my pocket. But, but I was told if I wanted to come to the Bible study to bring a Bible. And so I carried my Bible through the hallway and I stuck it behind my back because I was afraid I might see somebody I knew. And I didn't want to be embarrassed that I was seeking God. Are you too nervous and too concerned about what others around you think to really be intentional of seeking God in your life? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught, keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. 
Are you willing to keep seeking to find the answers that Jesus has for you? The other thing that's truly commendable with Zacchaeus is that not only is he a seeker, but he is a repentant seeker. When Jesus invites, actually commands him to come down and to open his home for him, Zacchaeus not only climbs down from the tree, but he's willing to do the hard work of climbing into his heart and doing some repentance. In verse 8, Luke, the inspired Bible writer, writes, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possession to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. What do you see? Zacchaeus not only gets a house guest, he gets a new heart. What a contrast to the rich young ruler in Luke 18, when Jesus said for him to give up his wealth and give it to the poor, he went away sad. Zacchaeus is not even asked to do this. He is so impacted that Jesus wants a relationship with him that he, he stands up and says, right now in here, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And then he does something that's really interesting. He says, he says and if if I've stolen from anybody, if I've taken what belongs to anybody that wasn't mine, I'll pay back four times the amount. Now, in my heart, in my imagination, I picture the line starting to form for Zacchaeus, a people that had been stolen from. Now, what's interesting, if you go back in the Old Testament, when you stole money or property from somebody, you were required by the Old Testament law to pay restitution, to pay it back, plus a tip. 20%. Zacchaeus goes far beyond that. He says, I'll pay back four times the amount. You see, this is repentance. Repentance is another one of those Bible words a lot of people misunderstand. I think a lot of people think repentance is just saying you're sorry to God. But repentance is so much more than that. Repentance is a change of mind, a change of heart that leads to a change of life. In fact, one of my favorite descriptions of repentance is in 2 Corinthians 7, when it says godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. It leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. You see the difference? Worldly sorrow is when somebody's sorry they got caught are sorry for the consequences, godly sorrows when somebody says, you know, even if nobody knows but God, God knows, and I want to change. And you go on, and and it talks about, see what this godly sorrow has produced in you, what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourself. I mean, Zacchaeus was eager to clear himself. He says, listen, I will pay back four times the amount. He demonstrates true godly sorrow. This is not simply going through the motions, doing the bare minimum to appease your guilt. This is true repentance, true heart change. A heart change that says, I will do anything you ask me to do, Jesus, to be in a right relationship with you. You know, in my efforts to help people come to Jesus Christ, I used to think that The most difficult call to obedience that I had to ask people to do was baptism. Because it seems like a lot of people push back from 
the call, the command from Scripture, the, the teaching, the example of Jesus to be baptized. And yet, you know, as time goes on, now don't get me wrong, I still think baptism is very important. And we emphasize that we have water ready every weekend in case somebody's ready to be baptized. But I've really come to the point where I believe that, that, that the part that's the most difficult for people to wrestle with is repentance, to really have a change of heart, to really have a change of mind toward sin and, and toward life. In fact, I think Zacchaeus is an example here. When someone truly has had a repentant heart where they're real ready to have they're eager to be cleared and, and indignant, uh, they're indignant about their sin. They want to change. They want to live that new life. I think when somebody's really had a repentance take place in their heart, then they'll do whatever Jesus calls them to do. You say, oh, Jesus calls me to be baptized. Okay, I'll be baptized. You see, when somebody really has that repentant heart that Zacchaeus had, they'll do whatever Jesus called them to do. Well, we need to wrap up. How will this story impact your life this week? As you consider Zacchaeus, are you willing to follow his example? Are you willing to seek out a relationship with Jesus? Are you willing to, to intentionally seek what it means to be a follower of his and to grow in that relationship? Even if others ridicule you, even if others don't understand why you, you make decisions you make, why you've made it a priority in your life, are you willing to follow Zacchaeus' example? Are you willing to follow Zacchaeus' example of radical repentance? Is there something in your life that you've been trying to pretend isn't there? You've been trying to pretend it's really not an issue. Maybe no one else knows about it, but the truth of it is you know it and God knows it. Is God calling you to repent, to have a change of heart? Is there something you need to, to clear out of your heart to make right with God? Is there something you need to confess? Is there somebody that you need to make amends to? That's true repentance. Now, the good news, if you'll follow Zacchaeus' example, is you'll come to know what Zacchaeus came to hear. In verse 9, Zacchaeus respond, uh, Jesus responded, excuse me, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. You see, Zacchaeus entered into a saved relationship with God. Why? Because he had trusted that Jesus had the answer for his life. And he embraced by faith the good news that Jesus brought. Are you willing to come to Jesus and embrace the good news that he has for your life? If you've already made that decision, if you've already surrendered to Jesus and you've had that repentant heart and you're following him, then are you willing to take your cues from Jesus? And, you know, we talked about how this is a children's story sometime, the International Children's Bible this is how the International Children's Bible reads in verse 10. The Son of Man came to find lost people and save them. One other application from this story is that Zacchaeus' life was changed because Jesus took his earthly mission to heart and he was willing to go to great effort 
even do the unpredictable to find lost people and to save them. I'm glad that Jesus continues to do this today through the church. I'm grateful that almost 40 years ago, God put people in my life that built a bridge to me so that I could become a Christian. If you've already become a Christian, if you've already taken that call to be a disciple, Jesus, will you be willing to build the bridge to someone else? Is there someone in your life, in your family, in your neighborhood, at work, that you need to take to heart this call to bridge the gap? Is there something you can do this week to bridge the gap so that they can hear the good news of Jesus? Well, as we close out and prepare for communion, we don't want to lose sight that the ultimate bridge builder in this story was Jesus. You know, when you think about building bridges, we talk about in our discovery class how that we by nature are we're sinners. And sin separates us from God. Jesus came to this earth. That's a big bridge from heaven to earth. And then he died on a cross so that even though our sin separates us from God, through his dying on the cross, there's a bridge built to, between him, between God, our Father, and us. As we take communion, we're reminded that without Jesus, we would be lost. We would be without hope. Jesus came to bring salvation, to bring hope, to bring life into our life. As we take the bread, as we take the cup, let's give thanks that Jesus built a bridge to us. And after we take communion, let's ask ourselves, is there someone that I need to build a bridge to so that they can know this good news as well? Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you. We thank you that Jesus was willing to give up the grandeur of heaven to come here. And thank you that he was willing to endure pain on the cross and even alienation from you bearing our sin so that we could be brought near. Help us during this time of communion to truly give thanks and to truly be inspired to be a bridge builder in our life. We love you and we thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray.